1: and welcome to What Goes Up, a weekly markets podcast. My name is Mike Regan and I'm a senior markets editor at Bloomberg. And this week on the show, well, I'm actually down at the Jersey Shore trying my best not to get sunburned and worsen my melanoma. So we actually recorded this podcast a week in advance and therefore apologies to anyone who notices that our crazy things are a little out of date. But that's not the only thing different this week. Now, regular listeners will know that this show tends to focus on the old fashioned investment assets like stocks and bonds and currencies. We don't dabble much into cryptocurrencies and decentralized finance investments. But I think we can all agree this newfangled stuff is just so fascinating that we'd all be foolish to ignore it completely. Recently, I wrote about really some fascinating developments in the DeFi space that kind of fall squarely into our wheelhouse here on this show, equities, or at least synthetic equities trading on the blockchains without the ownership of any actual stocks being involved. So I'm happy to bring onto the show one of the innovators behind these tokens, who was nice enough to answer, I, I don't know, about a million questions I had for that story. And he's also brought with him one of his collaborators in the DeFi space. So let's meet them. Their names are Do Kwan, he's the co-founder and CEO of Terraform Labs, and Zaki Mannion. He's the co-founder of Eclusion and the Sanlier Protocol. Do and Zaki, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for your time. It's great to be here. It's great to be here. Great. So Do, I wanted to start with you. Now, I know uh, you talk a lot about these projects and and, and in-depth sort of nuts and bolts of it. For our listeners, though, I was hoping you could kind of start with some of the basics. And especially the notion, uh, two things that I think are really kind of at the center of these type of products. And uh, one is the notion of just staking in the cryptocurrency and DeFi world, and also the notion of stable coins, especially if you could start with staking, um, especially to me, I think what is fascinating in your project is how. Crypto can be staked as sort of a way to govern the protocol that runs everything. You know, you use them to vote or propose changes to the protocol. But walk us through, you know, kind of briefly the the idea behind staking, you know, what are some of the motivations, some of the incentives to get people to stake their tokens and especially that notion uh, in their use in in governing the actual uh, Terraform or rather Terra blockchain and the mirror protocol where these synthetic Assets or trading
2: yeah, so the most general definition of the word staking means that you put your money at stake in order to make important decisions for the network so uh, tradition uh, you know like in most crypto networks, you have a token that can be used to govern the network or to set important decisions, and to stake the token means that you uh, lock up these tokens in the blockchain, and then if you make a decision that is adversarial or counterproductive to the network then um, you you incur a penalty against that stake um, you know the the good thing about this is is that as the network grows, the amount of capital or the the amount of tokens at stake increases as well. so you have this nice linearity with the uh, growth of the network and the amount of money at stake.
1: And talk to us a little bit again, and I think this will be important for listeners uh, who aren't familiar with this space to kind of understand what what's coming next, but talk to us about stable. Coins, in other words, the uh, the idea that a cryptocurrency can basically track the dollar or another currency one to one as closely as possible, and and the the Terra uh, stable coin, uh, known as the Terra Dollar or UST, uh, being sort of the linchpin of of many of these projects on your uh, uh, platform. Give us a little you know sort of freshman level uh, education on stable coins.
2: Yeah, so uh, stable coins are cryptocurrencies similar to Bitcoin or Ethereum, but uh, the key difference is is that they're designed to track the price of uh, something that's a little bit more stable, like the US dollar, like the Korean won, the Hong Kong dollar. And, and the idea is that if you have cryptocurrencies that are pegged to stable assets, then you retain all the permi- uh, benefits of Bitcoin and Ethereum, like permissionlessness. Uh, you can build apps on top of it. It's easier to cross borders. Um, while at the same time, you you have, um, you know, a token whose value uh, tracks the, the price of something that you can use for actual currencies. So it's easier to weave into things like fintech and other types of applications.
1: Right. Now, so uh, with the Mirror Protocol, and correct me if I get any of this wrong, but basically... Say I want to create a a synthetic stock to trade on the mirror protocol. So I will stake some of some UST or no, it's actually the mirror token, I guess, the the mirror uh, protocol token, which is not a stable coin that that fluctuates in value. I will stake some and suggest to the community, Okay, I want, uh, let's say, Walmart. I want a, a synthetic Walmart stock to trade. So I'll put up a certain amount of the mirror token and then uh, everyone else votes with their tokens, right. To, to decide whether, yeah, we, we do want a synthetic Walmart. Is that, that's the the gist of it, right? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Right. And then, so as a kind of a trader or participate in this uh, network, I'll I'll then say, okay, someone needs to create the Walmart token. So I'll uh, I'll, I'll put up some collateral um, to create, a certain number of synthetic shares of Walmart and walk us through what happens next.
2: Sure. So, um, you know, anybody can uh, lock up some collateral, let's say it could be Terra USD. It could be another cryptocurrency. It could be, you know, a, a, a derivative, a cryptocurrency derivative. So anyways, you lock up some type of crypto token whose value exceeds the amount of the synthetic that you're about to issue. So, for example, if you lock up $150 worth of some collateral, you get to mint, you know, let's say $100 worth of some token that tracks the price of uh, whatever has been just listed, let's say Walmart. So in that case, you can trade these synthetics, you can hold them, you can do whatever you want. But the idea is that you have this, you know, purely decentralized peer-to-peer exchange of value uh, between many participants across
3: the world globally.
1: Right. And how many do you, do you suppose is? I've seen some estimates. Uh, it's a few thousand uh, regular traders, right?
3: Yeah.
2: So it it actually fluctuates quite a bit. So in crypto, um, usership really changes depending on how well the price of cryptocurrencies are doing. So these days, we're seeing about you know anywhere between three thousand to six thousand daily active users. Um, you know, like um, but um, during let's say. February, March, um, you know, sort of peak markets in crypto, we were seeing about, I don't remember the daily, but on a monthly basis, we were seeing about 150,000 monthly
1: active. 150,000 monthly active, that's amazing. That's uh, in a pretty short time, right? I mean, this all launched, what, sort of the end of last year?
2: Right. And a lot of it was, um, you know, purely by accident. So, um, <laughs> you know, around the time when we first launched uh, Mirror, Wall Street Bets was making like a big uh, was making big waves, and then um, you know the community you know tried to vote in things like GMC, uh, GME, and, and AMC, which were really popular assets of the Wall Street bets movement.
1: Yeah, uh, and then a
2: bunch of uh, Twitter celebrities that were uh, following that movement started to talk about Mirror as like an alternative to Robinhood that can't be censored, is entirely transparent, and um, I, I think that was probably the catalyst that that led Mirror to take off.
1: I think what it all adds up to is um, boy, there must be traders around the world salivating at this stuff, um, especially sort of your algorithmic based traders uh, writing programs. One thing I, f- I find fascinating is you pull in uh, from what's called an Oracle um, prices of, of the actual stocks in the market uh, about every 30 seconds so for one of these sort of low latency, you know, trade on the microsecond type of trade algorithmic trader, that this has got to be an, a very appealing, I would think, opportunity for people like that. Are you are you finding on that sort of participant yet? You know, really um, automated traders, not not exactly just people sitting there trading by hand.
3: I think that there's a very uh, uh, interesting you know, the confluence of having these trading platforms that exist only on chain has created like real opportunities to sort of interweave the consensus process and the trading process in the same sort of core infrastructure. And so you're seeing a lot of innovation there uh, among trading firms as they try and, and, and figure out how all these pieces uh, uh, fit together. Um, I think that there's a lot of, you know, we've never really had like, open markets where the where the matchmaking function was transparent and open like this. And so what like what does it mean to be close to the market is like is a is very different in a decentralized world than it is in the, the old centralized world where it was all about, you know, there isn't, you know, NASDAQ has a data center somewhere and it's all about being as close as possible to it.
1: Right, right. And I should point out, I you know, due to the nature of uh, this this type of um, project, you really don't know who's trading what. It's all anonymous, uh, more or less, right? That's Which right. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of brings uh, uh, you know us to the some of the issues covered in the story. In that, um, you know, you got to wonder how regulators, uh, you know, the equity market around the world is so tightly regulated. Um, every year, it seems like there's a, a few hundred more pages of regulations added to. To, you know, the national market system in the U.S., for example, or or the rules governing broker dealers um, that, you know, you must wonder how, you know, do you feel like a shoe is going to drop from regulators eventually on this? Well, so I
2: I, I sort of think about, um, you know, these DeFi protocols as no different from the protocols that govern the Internet. Right. So in the beginning, when things like email or like Telegram or encrypted phones first came out, the, the regulatory response is always, you know, add a backdoor or, you know, these protocols are bad for the economy or yeah. whatever it
1: is that. Um, it's always you know, a, back, uh, it's a backlash at the beginning, I guess.
2: Yeah. But I, I think what's important is that what can be regulated and what can be governed, it's it just basically these protocols change the natural law of how human beings interact with each other. Right. And at the end of the day, if it's sort of like a decentralized shift in natural laws, the regulators find a way to work around it. So, for example, when email and telegram and those things came out, these are still challenges that regulators overcome, but they've adopted other ways to make sure that, uh, you know, regulatory enforcement is still possible. Right. So for these decentralized protocols, even if you can't prevent these protocols from existing, which which really can't be done. Right. What, what, what they can do is to sort of try to regulate the vendors that interact with these protocols. And
3: I, I, I think it's, it's um, very possible to be able to do that. Yeah. So I just want to comment on this a little bit, which sure. is that I, I, I break it into three things. So I, I think the one theme is what Doe is talking about, which is what we've essentially done is made like uh, DeFi uh, an inherent property of the internet. Like if you're going to have the internet, you're going to have DeFi. Um, and it's really hard to, at this point to have one without the other. Um, so that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is there's the regulation, but then there's the aims of the regulation. And the aims of the regulation is to have fair, transparent, effective markets and effective price discovery uh, and an effective finance to run a society on top of. Um, and I think blockchain protocols have done a really good job of starting to like, incorporate those things directly into the software. Um, and I think the extent to which regulators are fighting DeFi while not embracing our ability to put these things directly in software, they're giving up a huge opportunity uh, to make the world a better place. Um, and then I think the last thing is composability. I think the most things that has been, like the most exciting thing about like, why would you bring equities to DeFi? Like, what's the point? Um, and the, mo- the point is that like, these protocols are composable in ways um, that like traditional equities are not. That you can't build, uh, you know, software that on top of your Robinhood account, the way you can build software on top of your mirror assets. Um, and that's really, I think a big piece of this that's very exciting. Um, and like why, again, this is important um, and why I think it is, uh, it, it is a mistake to move too quickly into regulation.
1: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? so you made the point uh, in some of the comments to me and, and Zach, you maybe have some thoughts on this about how, you know, not everyone's able to trade the stock market um, for whatever reason. You know, uh, whether you're in a country uh, that has some kind of controls that will not let you open a brokerage account or it's prohibitively expensive. Talk to me a little bit about that notion. Who are some of the the uh, people who are kind of locked out from traditional stock markets that could benefit from this type of, of program?
2: Yeah, so it's it's kind of, you know, hard to imagine this in the West, but, um, you know, uh, I, I think the equities market in some, some countries are more exciting than others, right? So, um, for example, uh, the U.S. stock market is appealing. The U.S. companies lead industries in uh, lots of different sectors, uh, and therefore their, their equities are really compelling. But there are lots of places where it's difficult to gain access to asset classes that are outside of the country. So, uh, or in in some cases, there are adversarial rules and um, roadblocks that are set up to make it difficult to invest. So for example, um, you know, in Korea and Japan, you know, capital gains tax on uh, foreign equity single stocks is 26%, uh, whereas, uh, you know, on domestic equities, it's like 0.2%. So, and then uh, whenever, you know, retail interest in investing in foreign equities goes up, they uh, make an announcement saying, hey, if you, if you guys keep investing in U.S. equities, we'll just keep raising taxes, right? So they're, they're purposefully designed to prevent capital flight and to keep as much money in domestic equities markets as possible. Or there are places like, let's say, uh, China or Malaysia, where it's just in general, very difficult to get access to equities outside of the country. Um, so what's you know, at, at, at like a surface level, like the very simple problem that these synthetic equities solve is that it, it allows global access to any asset class that is determined by the community. And that that alone is really exciting.
1: Right. And I, I think that's an important point. I mean, we're talk, I, you know, talking about mirrored equities because that's kind of the first uh, iteration of this. There's some mirrored uh, ETFs, too. What what else you know could we? Obviously, I guess you could probably try to do anything, right? Mirrored commodities and oil and and gold and all that. I mean, is that something you think is is coming in the pipeline? Anything
2: fungible that trades in a market can can be made into a mirrored asset.
1: You know, to me, the I guess the, you know, and I'm, I'll I'll admit it to you guys. I'm a I'm a worry word at heart. You know, I'm always worried about what could possibly go wrong. So when I look at this, one of the things I worry about is is stable coins itself. You know. Um, and, uh, maybe you guys can explain a little bit about this. There's, you know, two ways to do a stable coin. You do a tether type of thing where you're actually, you know, backing the stable coin with, with us dollars, or, you know, uh, I'm guessing there's other, you know, currency backed stable coins out there. Um, or you can do it algorithmically, uh, which I understand is what, uh, UST does. Can, can he give us, and, you know, uh, With the acknowledgement that we're not all uh, computer scientists out here, but can you give us an idea of how that algorithmic backing uh, of a stablecoin works?
0: So uh,
2: basically, the idea is that without having explicit collateral, you can set up a set of incentives uh, to make it um, make it attractive for players to um, you know keep the price of the stablecoin at peg. So, for example, in the Para system you uh, have two levers that you pull, uh, essentially like akin to uh, you know, monetary policies of central banks. And the idea is that at any given time, you can trade in $1 worth of Terra USD for $1 worth of Luna. So uh, for example, if Terra USD is trading at $0.90, cents, you, can, you can buy from the market, uh, you know, trade it for $1 worth of Luna and sell that and capture a 10% arbitrage. So whenever Terra is trading at a discount, Market participants have an incentive to keep buying up the asset until it's trading at parity with the pet. Vice versa, if it's trading at one point one dollars, uh, users now have an incentive to buy a dollars worth of Luna, swap that to one Terra USD, and then sell that to capture ten percent arbitrage the other way.
1: So,
3: Zaki, let's let's
1: uh, hear what you're up to uh, these days. How how do your projects fit in uh, with Terra and, and what Doe is doing?
3: So. You know, I've been building a lot of the infrastructure that uh, Terra uses for like the last seven years. Um, so a lot of a lot of the sort of core software infrastructure that Terra is built upon is built on top of a project called Cosmos. Um, and so, like, you know, we've been working very closely with with Terra and with Doe for for many years um, as they as they've been building out on our ecosystem. Um, I'm working on a project called Sommelier, which is very focused on this sort of unique role of liquidity providers. Um, so one of the things that is like very cool about these new crypto DeFi markets um, is that anyone can be a market maker. Um, it's not this uh, elitist, uh, but like the, we need better tools. Um, and so what Sommelier is focused on doing is building better tools for market makers uh, in, in markets like Teraswap and, and Uniswap and all of these uh, DeFi exchanges. And it was really focused on and sort of democratized access to being a market
1: maker. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the, the, TerraSwap and Uniswap are uh, sort of a, a different, uh, a, a vastly different sort of model than your Coinbase or your Binance. Um, walk us, what do you guys could walk us through how a DeFi exchange like that works? I mean, I guess the the ultimate goal is no middlemen at all, right? You just want users to be able to trade with each other, um, w- with just the, the blockchain serving as sort of the, the, you know, the, the, the exchange itself. Is that, is that a, I mean, it might be an oversimplified explanation, but is that basically it?
3: Okay. So there, there's, there, uh, there's a couple of things. So basically there are this, there's this, there's this, there's this idea called a constant function market maker where there's a very simple, frequently a very simple algorithm that, that, uh, 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 looks at, uh the value of two reserves uh, and computes a price. um, And then someone can uh, uh, swap uh, through that reserve. So why why do we wanna have systems that have reserves rather than having systems that, that, you know, just match buyers and sellers and converge on a price? Um, Which is actually, you know, we've tried with, you know, over the history of of cryptocurrencies and and the space, We've tried all kinds of different market architectures, but the one that has really taken off is this TerraSwap, Uniswap, uh, constant function market maker with this reserve. And the reserve is provided by liquidity providers, who, which is who uh, Sommelier is trying to serve. Um, and why is this, why is this so, so powerful? Is it's actually really quite powerful in terms of this composability feature to be able to know that there is going to be liquidity at any price um uh you know at any time at any price being able to access liquidity and swap on it like in a block uh and sometimes compose uh a loan a swap something else uh into a single into into a single block uh uh so that it all happens atomically like you know imagine if you could like literally take out like a, a lock on the New York Stock Exchange say i'm going to sell stock use that the cash from that to take a leverage position in another asset and maybe uh, uh, look at the price change there and then sell that asset. And like no one else could trade at the time. Um, and cryptocurrency allow us to build stuff like that. Um, and so this is why the Uniswap style, the, the sort of Uniswap style constant function market maker structure has like sort of dominate, has taken a dominant position uh, you know, across the cryptocurrency world. Um, and what this has, what the, the next implication of this is that this is all open source software and so you just expect this functionality to be everywhere. Um, uh, 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 again, it just has, a marketplace just becomes a function of the internet where you can basically swap any asset wherever you are um, at a click of a button and always know that you're going to be able to find a, a, a liquidity on the other side uh, to take that position.
1: And so my understanding uh, for the Mirror Protocol is that um, th- there are trading fees associated, um, but they're all sort of recycled back into the community itself. That the liquidity providers, uh, you know, get a cut of fees and 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 that sort of thing. Which though I think causes a lot of people to say, "Well, what's the what's in it for Doe and Terraform Labs?" Um, and my understanding is that. Um, your uh, your other cryptocurrency, Luna, plays a role in in all this. Can you sort of walk us through sort of what your your company and your personal incentives are for the success of, of Mirror?
2: Yeah, so um, you know, a lot of people think that we get uh, sort of you know indirect benefits from running Mirror. So, uh, like, there's no direct benefits, right? We we don't take any trading fees. It's decentralized. Uh, there's no Tokens that we pre mine to ourselves. So ultimately, there's no direct incentive for doing it now. But, you know, like one of the benefits of um, having run Terra is that I'm like pretty much 100% shareholder. There's no investors uh, that hold equity in Terraform Labs. So you can be a little bit flexible, of not, not everything that you do needs to be profitable, right? So uh, we do a bunch of different things. Um, for example, like I, I founded a payments company that. Uh, raised close to a hundred million dollars by SoftBank. Um, you know, so we work on, you know, savings SDKs like Anchor uh, and different things like that. So think about Mirror as like one of those things that we did and a gift we gave to the world.
1: <laughs> so, and just, you know, to, to give it the, uh, there's those old books, you know, staking for dummies, you know, or the complete idiot's guide to staking. So say I wanted to, put something stupid in the mirror protocol, like tokenized baseball cards or I don't know, whatever. And so I would put up a certain uh, amount of MIR token and say, let's vote on this. Here's a, here's X number of mirror tokens, MIR tokens and everyone else. Uh, who wants to I guess or uh, can vote and and they put they stake their tokens as well right so if they say that's a bad idea and and it gets voted down then I lose the stake I put up and does everyone who voted get back their tokens then
2: yes.
1: So, guys, if I'm going to play devil's advocate for a bit and say uh, I'll mirrored equities, these are going to just be a plaything of insider traders, tax dodgers, money launderers, on and on and on. How do you respond to that?
2: I think, um, you know, for tax dodgers and insider traders, if you're going to be doing insider trading. Uh, putting the record of that on a public ledger that is viewable in perpetuity is the worst idea ever.
1: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair yeah.
2: Enough. Yeah. So, um, well, generally as you know, analytic systems for blockchains improve um, it, it's actually um, like, if you're trying to do something that is against the law, it's actually against your interest to put it on the blockchain right. because it never goes away.
1: Right. Know? So while the, the traders are anonymous um, you know, someone with a badge and a gun who wants to find out who they are will be able to, I guess, uh, is the bottom line.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Stand clear of the craziest things we saw in markets this week.
1: All right. uh, Great conversation, guys. I got to tell you, though, we have a tradition on this show where we each take turns discussing the craziest thing we saw in markets this week. So, I have a feeling in the DeFi space, you guys have seen some crazy things. Anything stand out, uh, Doe and Zaki, any crazy things you've you've witnessed recently?
3: I, I would say the most interesting thing that has been happening is just like, to me, is like the acceleration of the liquid staking space. Um, so I think Doe commented on it briefly, uh, and there's a project that we're, we both collaborate on called Lido um, that makes sort of what are called staking derivatives, so uh, derivatives from your staked asset. Um, And these things have just exploded like um, 0.5% of all ETH is all is now in in staking derivative form, um, which is just mind boggling.
1: That is pretty mind boggling. How about you, Doe? Have you seen anything crazy this week?
2: Uh, No, markets are pretty boring in crypto right now. And uh, if they're not mirrored, I don't trade stocks, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I was going to say, maybe the craziest thing is that it, the, it seems like the volatility's calmed down, you know, I, at least, you know, I'm looking at Bitcoin, it's, it's kind of been stuck in this range, you know, it, um, I don't know, what do you guys think? Is that, is that bound to, or is the volatility bound to erupt again uh, there, or is, or is this kind of a new normal for, for Bitcoin and, and other, the other big cryptos to kind of kind of be sort of boring?
3: Oh no! <laughs> I mean, like as I've been doing this for six years, like there's there's uh, the you you the volatility is our friend, and uh, I I don't I, I never think he's gone for long, and he's always coming <laughs> back the house for dinner.
1: Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, you know it's found to uh, it's found to come back, like like the you know Jason in those old Halloween movies. All right. Well, I got a crazy thing and uh I, it's tailored to you two guys because I want to sort of bring you into the conversation on it. It's a it's a Bloomberg story about sort of all the scams going on in the crypto world. And I love, you know, the, the I, again, I'm a novice to all this stuff. So I'm just learning of the term rug pull and getting rugged, which I, I find to be just a hilarious uh, concept, a hilarious term and and honeypot's. And we had this big, long feature story about some of the these big scams and this site out there called uh, Token Sniffer, um, which I guess is an attempt to try to weed out the real scams in crypto. You know, they, they have a name um, that I probably can't say on a family podcast. It starts with an S, rhymes with Bitcoin. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, you know, it's got to be frustrating to guys like you. Like here, you guys are, and I don't want to make you blush. I don't want to flatter you, but two guys who are obviously super smart. You know, uh, Doe, you went to Stanford. You, you've got a, a, a resume that includes time at Microsoft. I mean, you know, you're in this for legitimate purposes, but you know, all around, you guys, are, you know, for every Doe and Zaki out there doing innovative, uh, you know. Real world stuff. There's a million scam artists, and I just wonder: does it? It must be frustrating, and and is it's in some way a headwind to what you're trying to accomplish, and and to to greater adoption of of the projects that you're working on.
3: I'll say this though, I you know, so like uh, I spend all of my time thinking about security, like how these protocols will survive in the most adverse in in the worst of circumstances, you know you spend 99% of your time preparing for the the worst and if there were there were no adversaries out there if there was nobody if there was nobody trying no, if there were no scams if there were no um we wouldn't actually really know if any of this stuff works um <laughs> uh and uh so you know I, I, I do a little bit embrace the the adversarial nature of crypto the fact and you know, the you just assume that every every message that you get in your Telegram, every email you get, somebody's probably trying to trick you for some reason. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's not it's not the worst way to live.
1: <laughs> How about you, Doe? How do you react to all this? I mean, I guess part of it is you know I know you do a lot of podcasts, you do a lot of interviews. Is that part of it, just getting yourself out there and ex- and explaining your story and what you're doing and, and trying to educate people that way?
2: Yeah, I I, I mean I. You know, I, I think a large part of what makes these protocols tick is sort of like a common philosophy that stitches uh, people from diverse backgrounds together. And then in order to have that sort of connective tissue, you need sort of a common vision and a common story uh, that people can believe in. And, and the best way to be doing that, um, for better or for worse, is the podcast circuit. So uh, which is why I do this Um in terms of scams though I, I think what's interesting is that in two thousand and seventeen there there were no you know projects that were being used so in some in some cases, like you know distinguishing the scams if you will from the non scams was not possible because none of them had any users in the in, in the first place so the the only real difference was the founders' intentions, which is not possible to decipher uh, against the decentralized protocol so that was really hard but today that's kind of different so if you look at you know some of the top assets in uh you know, coin market cap, it's the market is still inefficient. Um there are still lots of garbage um in the CMC top hundred. But I would say that's sort of changing as the most more used, uh, more useful assets are sort of bubbling up to the top, whereas um assets that are not useful are falling down.
1: Yeah, I guess there's a bit of, you know, Darwinism to it. You know, the the strong ones will rise to the top and the rest will, you know. People will grow bored of, or, you know, the, the sort of eye popping, you know, one day gains that you see will, will, will stop being as frequent, I suppose. I don't know. Who knows really?
3: Right. (laughs) Well, guys, uh, I'll just say, I've been expecting the Dogecoin story to like come to an end for for, for, (laughs) forever and it just like never ends.
1: Yeah. How do you explain that Zachy? I mean, is it, um, you know, to me, it's just, it's almost like the, the. Humor value of it, the meme value of it, it is just enough to draw so many people into it, regardless of the the sort of the fundamental story behind it. I mean, what's your take on that?
3: I, I have a very succinct take on it. So it won't take very long. The the thing about the assets that Doe and I work on is the narratives are complex. There's substance. There's real work on computer science and cryptography and stuff like that. That's behind this. And as a result, if you want to hold those assets, participate in those communities like you have to you have to sort of become part of that narrative. And the, the barrier to that is very high. Um, and the substancelessness of Doge and, and its sort of, of compatriots uh, is a real asset for building sort of a meme driven community because there is no narrative. There is no like big <laughs> idea. There's there's nothing to it. Uh, and so then it, it, it really is open to everyone. And, so, like, it, the sort of Dadaism of, of, these, of these cryptocurrencies, of, of this kind of asset, I sort of started to figure out why it works. Um, uh, and it seems like it doesn't make sense in the very long term, but it's, it, 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 you know, for a community-driven thing, just like having zero substance whatsoever uh, has become something of an asset.
1: <laughs> Epty calories like junk food, I guess, is always going to be appealing. <laughs> Well, guys, I really appreciate your time. I think that's all the time we have for this. Doe, I know it's you're in uh, South Korea. I know you got up early for this, so I appreciate that. Zaki, I'm not even sure where you are, but uh, I- uh, Palo Alto. Oh, oh, Palo Alto, okay. So, uh, well, I, I, it, the wonders of Zoom, we can all meet up uh, from all corners of the world like this. And guys, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, anything new and exciting comes along in your space, let me know, and maybe we can do it again. Yeah, thank you. Sounds great. what goes up we'll be back next week so then you can find us on the bloomberg terminal website and app or wherever you get your podcasts we'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on apple podcasts so more listeners can find us and you can find us on twitter follow me at ringanonymous you can also follow bloomberg podcasts at podcasts thank you to charlie Pelt of bloomberg radio and the voice of the new york city subway system what goes up is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time.